So yeah, man. So so we've had the honour of um, of leading this congregation. March fourteenth next year will be three years um, since we planted. So can I ask those guys that are with us, that were with us on the very first meeting, if you're still here, would you stand up for me just quickly? Fantastic. Thank you. You guys can sit down. Thanks so much. I know a lot of the guys are, are not around for whatever reason. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. It's, it's really cool. And, uh, you know, these guys, a lot of what we're walking in today and a lot of what God has chosen to do in us and through us today is because of these people. Um, no one man can build God's church. He will build his church. He'll use men, but he will build his church. And without these faithful servants that have been with us from the start, that have paid prices, that have come and served with us um, throughout the years, we wouldn't be where we were where we are today, and we wouldn't have this wonderful worship and the opportunity to actually get a chance to disciple close to 100 people every single Sunday now, where we started with 24 adults and eight kids. Come and look at what the Lord has done. But um, for those of you who are here from the start, you guys will know when we started, it was quite messy, actually. It was very messy, actually, because when you plant a church, there's a lot of work to do, um, and you don't always have the most qualified people to do it. Um, and for the first 20 months, we never had a worship leader. So we would literally, on a Sunday, either have... So I always make the joke that Mornay worship, he led worship in this congregation before he'd even set foot in the front door, because we actually did wor YouTube worship, remember? We did YouTube worship where Monet led us because we simply didn't have a worship leader, someone to lead us in worship. Then there would be times when we would have other congregations would send us teams, um, but they didn't always send us the most experienced teams. They would send us the up-and-coming teams. And we bless them for that and we thank them for that. But let me tell you, it can be quite tough sometimes with those upcoming teams. Then what we had is we had a whole bunch of guys that didn't really understand AV. They didn't really understand sound. So what would happen is the music would be too loud. The voices would be too soft. The guitar would be too strong. The drums would be too soft. And what it had was this mishmash of this experience that wasn't slick. It was not slick. That the fact that people stayed was showing that they came for Jesus and not for a slick show. There were times when the songs would be on verse 3 and we would be on verse 2 and guys were kind of going, ah, oh, they're trying to find it. And, you know, it's just, it was messy, but it was beautiful. God was doing something. He was using each and every one of us to slowly but surely, we just came together as a family and we started to, um, to just work towards something that was going to reflect the church that Christ was trying to build for us. And uh, it got me thinking as I, as I was just think, reflecting a little bit, you know, when you get older, you start to reflect. And I was just reflecting on it, and it gave me a, it reminded me of an analogy that I saw um, a while ago. So now for you guys that are coming into the congregation, it, 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 it's relatively slick. It's not, I wouldn't say it's slick, but it's relatively slick. The coffee machines are on, and it's nice and warm coffee. There's people that will greet you. The visitor slips will find their way to you. People will hopefully give you a warm uh, reception, and, uh, and you'd be able to come in, and the sound in the AV is relatively good. I mean, yeah, the guys can at least even make me sound good, which is great. 
You know, and there's, there's, a, there's an opportunity for you to come in and feel relatively comfortable. Hopefully for the visitors that have been with us for the first time today, you felt comfortable. You felt like, hey, there's something of a family feeling here. But that took a couple of people to do that. But what will happen is, is as we grow, and we will grow, because healthy things grow. And I'd like to think we're relatively healthy. I wouldn't say we're as healthy as we should be, but also we are not sick and we're not dying. So what will happen is as we grow, people will come in and things will get taken care of. And you'll always have your faithful few that will be running around serving everybody. They're the guys that get you early. They're the guys that afterwards when Sean has preached for too long and we've only got 10 minutes before we have to be out of the building, even though they're not on duty, they're going to roll up their sleeves and they're going to come and unpack and they're going to get stuck in and they're going to run around. They're going to do their things. There's going to be those that when you need help, in your community groups, you'll probably know them already. If you need help, you know that person's going to be there. And generally, those guys are going to be, they form the core of what this church is built on. But then what happens is, for the rest, we kind of come in and we, we find our same seat on a Sunday. And we find a good, you know, our group of friends, our little holy huddle within our, our community groups. And we, we, we slowly just... Settle. We just get a little bit comfortable. I don't need to necessarily be there first when our community is on duty because there's other guys that'll do it, man. I can rock up 10 minutes late. It's not really going to be a problem. I don't need to be at the prayer meeting. Why, why, why do we do, do that? Kevin's always there. Sean's always there. You know? And actually what happens is we start to have a couple of people that start to come in and they become passengers. And when I think about passengers, I think about like a, a plane or a train. You've got passengers, right? They come, they sit, and they get transported somewhere. They don't really contribute to the working of the plane or the train. They're just on it. But then you also thought about, or well, I thought about, the analogy of a cruise ship. Has anybody here been on a cruise ship? Okay, yeah, Julie worked on a cruise ship, so she could probably, you're going to have to keep me honest, right, if I say anything that's not true. Um, but if you, if, you, if you look at a lot of what I've described around the church, so you've got, a, you've got a, a worship team, you've got leaders and people that are serving, you've got guys that are getting involved and making sure that the church is running well. If you remove the spiritual element from it, you could kind of actually equate it to a cruise ship. And I'm going to tell you why. Because on a cruise ship, you've got like nightly shows and entertainment, and you'll have very good singers and dancers, and these people are there after your dinner to make sure that you have a great time. And in the church, we have worship, which is not yet to entertain you. But if you remove the spiritual element, like I said, you can see some parallels between what I'm talking about here. We have leaders and teams that are on duty that are here to serve and make sure everything gets done on the, on the, the cruise ship. You've got the captain and the stewards, and you've got various staff members that are tasked with cleanup, and they're tasked with dinner, and they're tasked with all these different things. It's quite similar, right? I can choose where, in, in church, you can kind of choose which community you want to go to, which guys you want to hang out with. You know, on a cruise ship, if I decide today's the day that I'm going to work on my tan, and I can get up on the deck... Or maybe if I'm feeling like, you know, I'm just feeling a bit lazy, I'm going to go lounge in the nice cool area on a couch and read a book, I can go and do that. I can pick what activities I want to do, and I can reject the ones that I don't want to do, and I can just cruise, right? 
The challenge with that is that how many of you know that when you climb on a cruise ship, you might go for a seven-day cruise, and you've actually left port, and you've traveled somewhere, and in seven days, where do you arrive back at? Exactly the same place. You see, you've traveled, but you've never actually gone anywhere. You're, at, you're exactly back where you started from, and the only thing that you've actually gained is probably a few kgs from all the food that you've been eating. And maybe lost a couple of rands. <laughs> but that's not the church. I don't believe as Christians that's what any of us are called to. You see, we're not called to be passengers on a cruise ship that are there to have a good time and to consume and to enlighten and entertain ourselves. But actually what we're called to is we're called to be active duty crewmen on God's battleship. And this is the analogy that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to juxtaposition these two different vehicles today as we talk about it. And then we can do some self-analysis and we can see where we fit. And I'm pretty sure most of us are on the battleship. But maybe some of us just need to be reminded of what our duties are. Right? So there's a couple of key differences. I'm going to cover three. The first one that I want to cover between the people that are on a cruise ship and the people that are on a battleship is the fact that people on a cruise ship have a destination, and I'll explain what that is, and people on a battleship have a mission. So a destination is a place to which someone or something is going or being sent. So you've kind of chosen, okay, I'd like to go to Nyaka Islands, you climb on the boat, you go there in Nyaka Islands, you come back. Have a great time, it's all good. But on a battleship, you have a mission. And a and mission is defined as, as an important assignment given to a person or a group of people, which may include travel. You see, we're not those that are just headed in the general direction that the ship is taking us and hoping that we're going to have a good time while we go. Or choosing the most convenient means to get there. You know, that ship has the best buffets and they have all day this or that. But actually... We're an army of saints that are pulled onto a battleship. And those guys, those warriors know when they walk onto that battleship, they have razor focus. They know exactly what it is that they've been called to. They are highly trained. They are highly motivated. And they are there knowing that their only function is to fulfill the orders that come down from the top. That's all they do. Every activity that they do, whether it's cleaning the deck, scrubbing the toilets, doing whatever it may be, is with the mind of, I need to complete my mission. They know it. And you and I have been given a mission. Did you know that? That you are a commissioned officer. You are a crewman that has been given orders. And you, from the youngest to the oldest, need to execute against those orders. And if you don't know what those orders are, I'm going to help you. Because I'm a nice guy, man. You guys are lucky. So let's go to Luke 4, verse 14 to 20. And the context here is that Jesus has he's been going into the synagogues and he's, he's listening to the preachings of, of the guys that are doing the things. But this is the very first time that Jesus actually teaches in the synagogue. And effectively, he is about to detail to the world who he is and why he's here. So let's read it together. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout the surrounding um, country. 
and he taught in their synagogues and being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, so he has the custom of going to the synagogue on a Sunday. We can learn something from that. On the Sabbath, on the Sabbath is a Saturday, sorry. He stood up to read. So he has your, this is your mission statement. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he enrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Jesus comes and tells you exactly why he came. Why was he sent? What is his mission? And similarly, as he makes that known to us, he commissions us too. And he says, come on, you're in. This is what you need to do. This is his first sermon, but his last words are equally telling. If we have a look in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. This is the last discussion the last instructions he's giving, the last encouragement that he's giving. If I knew today was my last day with you, I wouldn't be coming to you and telling you about my best peri-peri chicken recipe. I would be coming to give you something that is meaningful. I would want to leave something with so that when you thought about me, you would think about that statement that I make. So Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore... Zonke, all of you, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, that is our mission. We are not those on a cruise ship going to a destination. We are those on a battleship with a mission. This is our mission. We have, the mission, we have the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling men to God, and then reconciling men to men. This is our mission, and we must be focused on it. The second parallel that I want to draw for you between a cruise ship and a battleship is that when you're on a cruise ship, you're being served, generally, and on a battleship, you are the one that serves. So the difference is our position. What position are you in? Are you in the recline position where we click for another virgin cocktail? Or are we active and involved and looking around for the needs and looking around for the things that need to be done? You see, on a ship, it's all about my comfort and convenience. Because if you aren't comfortable and things aren't conveniently located, you will choose to to spend your well-earned reins on another shipping liner. It's about you. In a sense, we would say that it is seeker-sensitive. If I, if I don't serve you, the, if the food is cold, if the food's too hot, if I can't actively get to where I need to be, then all of a sudden I'm in a position of, well, I'm not happy with the service that I'm receiving. I'm going to choose never to come back. On a battleship, every sailor, every warrior understands that they are there to serve the mission. It's not about how they are being served. It's about who am I serving and how am I serving. They understand that every single person on that ship has a function. 
We might look at the captain as the one who sets the, the direction of travel and make sure that we don't run, and he makes the evasive maneuvers when enemy attacks. But there's also a cook down in the galley in the guts of the boat that most people would never even see. And his job is to make sure that the food is nutritious, that it's given at the appropriate time so that the warriors have, they have sustenance, they have nutrition to be able to do the job that they need. You might not see that person. It might not be the person who's getting all of the glory. But let me tell you something. If those troops don't eat for a couple of days, there's a big problem. Or if the food is not properly prepared and you suddenly have five or six hundred soldiers that are all sick with food poisoning, you have a big problem. They understand that I serve my shipmates and they serve me and we all serve the mission. There's no job that's too big or too small on a battleship. And I want to say to you, there is no job that is too big or too small in this church. If all you feel you have the grace to do is to stand at the door and smile at people as they come past, then be the best stand at the door and smile at the people that come past person you can be. It's important. People have stayed in this church because of Bruce. I've had, his name comes up almost more than anybody else's, more than mine even when I ask for feedback. Yo, I met that guy at the door, Bruce. He's amazing. He loved me. Hey. I want to tell you, that I very seldom get feedback that has anything to do with me. Mostly the feedback comes as the people say, yo, you know what, Those, your, your people really know how to love. They make me feel so welcome. They welcomed me and they made me part of it. I didn't feel like I was, it was weird to be there. And in Ephesians 4 verse 16, there's something of a beautiful picture. And it says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped... When each part, that means you, Lisa Marie, and you, AP, and you, Ryan, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Yo, man, I need you, you need you, and we need you to be doing what God has called you to do. And I want to use one more analogy before I move on. And that's maybe, you know what? Yaku. Maybe you the toenail, bro. Maybe your function, your part in this body is you are the toenail. How many people want to be known as the toenail in this, in this church? Thanks, we've got a couple. I, I, want, I want to be the bicep or the abs or, you know, or the eyes or something like that. But actually the toenail sits under a, a sock, generally in a stinky shoe, that nobody really gives any thought to. Until you have that need for water in the middle of the night, and you're kind of making your way, oh, and you kick that toe against the wall or the edge of a chair, and suddenly that little toenail boop, lifts. Anybody been there? How important does that toenail feel now? Anybody had an ingrown toenail? I'm hearing the cringes. Yes, we understand that that's the littlest, most insignificant part. And I can see you looking at me going, where are you going with this? Don't worry, I'm taking you somewhere. Stay with me. <laughs> the fact is that which seems the least significant when it's not in its proper position actually causes all of us pain. We all hurt. When one person hurts, we all hurt. And I want to land that for you in 1 Corinthians 
12, verse 26 to 27. It says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Guys, if you're the tonal, be the tonal, but be the best tonal that you can be. And when the finger is sore, go and love and minister to that finger. Because when the finger is not working, as the word says, all of us are going to feel it. And if you're the one who's caused that finger to be sore, go and fix that thing quick, fast, and in a hurry. Don't leave that thing to fester. You need to fix that thing and fix it fast. The third thing, and I'm landing with this, the difference between those souls that are on a cruise ship headed in their destination in a position of comfort is the condition that they find themselves in. You see, on a cruise ship, the condition is generally quite peaceful. It's nice, gentle, French cafe music playing. People are dressed in nice floral outfits. It's very comfortable. You wear what you want to wear. If today, you know, you're going to wear your slops, then slops is it. We can sit in nice comfortable chairs. There's an umbrella if the sun's getting too hot. It's nice, man. That's nice conditions. I want those conditions. It's amazing. If there's something wrong, you click your fingers and, hey, the suck's going to run and he's going to try and do something. He's going to make it as pleasant as he can. Your conditions are pleasant, peaceful, away from conflict. Nobody's there to irritate you. On a battleship, however, your conditions are quite different. You see, there's very little, I would argue almost none of the focus of those who create those battleships are centered around the convenience and the comfort of the crew. That ship job is not to sink and to inflict damage on the enemy. They're not intentionally trying to make it uncomfortable, but comfort's not the first thing that they look at in the blueprint and go, well, I'm going to make this nice and comfortable so that you guys can have a safe journey. It's about function. It's about being lean and mean, and it's about making sure that when the objective gets sent down, we are able to achieve against that objective. I actually did some, some, some um, research on this. So the sailors that stay in these things, they stay far down, like under the decks, and they have like these swinging bunks that are probably like six, de- six deep and three, or three, across and, three up and six across. And no matter what time of year it is, they could be sitting in the middle of Alaska. Because of the proximity to the engines and stuff like that, it is piping hot. So what these guys will do is they'll literally every morning, they'll carry their mattresses out and lay it somewhere where it can get some air. Because they've sweated so much. That sounds nice, eh? 18 to 20 guys in really close proximity and it's hot. That's, that must be very comfortable, Right? It sounds really comfortable. And you know that even the star, even the, the, the crewmen that come onto the ships come for different reasons. Some come with deep-seated passion to serve and to see justice being dealt out. They are there for the right reasons. Others come because they sort of left college or they left school and they didn't really know what they're going to do and they can go and they're actually going to feed them for a year and they'll get a little salary and then they can go do something else. And then there's those even that come onto ships because, you know, in the, in the States, you can go and serve in the military if you've got a criminal record and you won't do time. So the person that's stinking next to you could actually be a criminal. <laughs> I 
But when the siren sounds, when that alarm goes off, when orders get shouted across the speakers, it doesn't matter where those guys come from. It doesn't matter their reasons for being there. It doesn't matter how long they've got to, to stay in the military. And it doesn't matter what age, race, religion, they are focused because the siren has gone off. My, the, the, the commander of that vessel, the commander-in-chief has issued an order. And if I don't do my job, it could lead to someone else dying. The conditions are not convenient. They don't wait for the, the whole crew to have woken up at 7 o'clock in the morning before the enemy is going to attack. The enemy is going to attack in the small watches of the night when everyone is rested and tired, or not rested, when everyone's resting and tired. It's going to be inconvenient. There's going to be intimidation. There's going to be fear. There's going to be things that are going to make people want to shut down. There's going to be horrible things that are going on. But those guys know that if I don't get up and get out of my bed, my job might be to make sure that that engine is running. If I don't get there and that engine doesn't run, we can't maneuver. What happens? Boom, boom. That's us. You have a job. You have a function within this. And unfortunately, and I hope, please, Lord, let me not be the first person that's going to read you these two scriptures. Can you put up John 16, verse 33? I have said these things to you. This is Jesus speaking. That in in me, you may have peace. So I want to ask you, if I come to you and I say, hey, guys, Tess, I'd love to meet you with you this week. I want to talk to you about something that's going to give you great peace. Are you going to be excited about that? I would be. That's a good coffee. It's like, yeah, come on, baby, let's get together. Let's do this. And then I'll follow it up with this. In this world, you're going to have trouble. I'm telling you this so that you can have peace, man. Ryan, have peace. You're going to have troubles. It's good meeting that. Everyone's like, yeah, baby, I can't wait for Sean to find me. But there we go. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Thank you, Lord, for that redemption. If that doesn't tell you that we're on a battleship and not a cruise ship, then nothing else I'm going to say is going to convince you. What about James 1, verse 2 to 4? Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters and children, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Are we going to have trouble? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's given. There's two scriptures that just completely land my argument. But in both those... We know that there's perseverance and faith that's going to be built in us. And we can have faith in, the, in Christ Jesus that he says, don't worry about when it comes. I've overcome it. So maybe some of you have walked in here this morning and you are troubled. You are being tested. You've got tribulations and trials and there's stresses and strifes and all these things are happening in your life. I want to encourage you. Jesus has overcome the world. And that the testing of your faith builds perseverance into you. And I need to let you know, in case you haven't drawn the conclusion for yourself, we are not those that are on a, on a cruise ship. We are those that are on a battleship. And we need to be aware of that so that we can change our position, we can change our condition, 
and we can know that we are those that are on a mission. 